They patrol the monuments to gridiron legends, but you better get the hell out of the way when they come rolling through. Randy Heights and Ryan Chapman are the Heisman Park Rangers, presented by the Highball Network. All right, Randy, headlines. Game was played, check. 27-24, the Sooners topped the Baylor Bears. Not what you expected, but if you go back and look, that is technically the largest margin of victory any team has logged against Baylor. We can get into kind of some of the other, I don't know if we want to call it excuses or, or reasons they may have come out flat, but the most important thing, the Sooners with the win have clinched a trip to the Big 12 championship game in Arlington. Hey, hey, you know, no doubt that's that's the best news to come out of the weekend. Six straight trip to the Big 12 title game. Or not six straight trip because I guess a chance to win there. Right, exactly. But anyway, regardless, you know, when you look at it, they're moving in the right direction. And I I think what you take out of the game on Saturday, yeah, good with bad. You mentioned there were positives, there were negatives, but you know what was funny to me, Ryan, about Saturday? Going into the game, what do we hear all about? Oh, the defense looks like it's going to be wrecked, you know, because of the contact tracing, whether positives or anything like that. So I'll just start with the positives. You know, my biggest positive of the day was, yeah, majority of the players that missed Saturday's game were on the defensive side of the ball. And some of them were key members of that defense. And I think what you have to take out of Saturday was, hey, that defense went out and played like a dang good defense. And that was without some of the regulars in there. I mean, we're seeing guys like Robert Barnes, who I think is a guy that's had some ups and downs in his career, but I think he fits the mold of what, you know, Grinch wants to do with the size and the secondary and everything, he comes out and plays a really good game. You know, so I, I think those are the positives you take out of Saturday. It, it was really impressive to me. And, and we can yeah. talk negatives here in a little while. But yeah, that was the most impressive thing to me. Well, yeah, for sure. Because so if you are following, you know, the pool of beat writers, basically the, the report card, the attendance sheet told us Nick Benito was gone. Mm-hmm. Woody Washington was gone. Buki was gone and every member of the free safety room as listed on the depth chart, every single one of them was gone. So you, like you said, you had Robert Barnes who was supposed to be a court a converted linebacker slotting back into safety um, that you have to, you have to deal with that. Woody Washington. So basically you've got DJ Graham coming in and, and, and Trey Norwood playing probably more snaps than he's used to with Nick Benito being gone, you've got, you know, Marcus Stripling stepping in and, and the net result was the Baylor bears totaled 288 yards and only 25 yards rushing. You made that team one dimensional and you said, Charlie Brewer is going to have to beat us. And everyone in the country knows Charlie Brewer is not that guy. Charlie Brewer is not going to beat you on his arm alone. So, so this Oklahoma defense and Randy, I can't imagine even last year saying that you're going to wipe away basically your starter at nickel and then one whole position group in the secondary. And that that result is going to be that there's only 263 passing yards thrown against you. It doesn't matter who, because we have seen over and over and over backup quarterbacks come into Norman and torch the sooner. So I think that this can be viewed as nothing but a, a great, great win considering everything that was surrounding the program because because yes there are negatives we will get into it specifically that offensive line but but i think all in all this is exactly the kind of performance you needed in this weirdest of all weird years to punch your ticket to the big 12 championship game 
No doubt. I mean, and you talk about this defense, and it's funny because, you know, I, I'm on there a lot, just like you are on social media, and it was really interesting following along on fans, and I got some of their frustrations because we'll get to the negatives in the offense, but, you know, as much as I wanted to sit there and almost criticize the defense in the game, I was more mesmerized watching this game, watching a defense go out there and do something that, hey, the offense struggled. But how about this? That was the first time in how many years that you could look across the side of the ball and go, offense is struggling right now. That defense has got their back. They're going to go win this game for them. Because you're right. Charlie Brewer is not the greatest. But actually, Charlie Brewer is not a bad quarterback either. And they've still right. got some size at the receiver position and everything. And guess what? They weren't able to exploit any of that because that defensive line and what they were bringing to the game, what the linebackers did, I thought you saw Osamo and White step up fill a lot of more, a lot more than what they've even done in the past. I mean, it was just an impressive sighting. So I almost had to go back and watch the game again to criticize the offense because I was more in awe of sitting here watching an Oklahoma defense literally just take the opponent's will and break it throughout the game. Yeah, I I think it was just really impressive because for a while there in that first quarter, as the first half, you know, eked on after Baylor missed those two field goals, I was kind of as a joke uh, telling my parents who I was there at the game with, I was like, I think three points might be enough to to float OU through this game, the way the defense had been playing. And then um, from that point forward, I think that Aranda and, and Baylor kind of realized the kicking game's not working. So we're just going to start going for it on every single fourth down. And I, I think, Randy, for as good as this defensive line has been, it's it's kind of unrealistic to expect that this defense, without all the people who we mentioned, is going to be able to hold a shutout or anything like that against a conference foe when they go for it on fourth down eight times. You know what I mean? Like, like there's just too much talent in this conference, and OU was missing too much talent to, to make it a shutout or anything like that, but it was still a dominant display by the defense and the offense didn't have to do much. And this is a game that we talked about three years ago with with a Mike Stoops led defense. This is another inexplicable game that the Sooners drop without a doubt. And everyone's sitting here wondering what the hell happened. And, uh, you know, we're calling post game shows and everyone's yelling about Lincoln Riley's job and all this stuff like it. It just shows you how far this program has come in just three years. Well, I mean, no doubt. And when if you want to factor in everything into this game, you know, everyone was talking about, because it's still a long shot and probably not happening, but, you know, that national talk of making the playoffs. You know, everyone is, they've started to get some hype nationally when you hear about this team. And, you know, I, I started thinking about something watching this game. It may have not been the most pretty thing to watch on Saturday afternoon, but if you want to put a reason in that committee's mind to go, hey, maybe this Oklahoma team does, belong i think what happened saturday almost gives it more credence than if they'd have went out and won 52 to 28 being the final you know still cover the spread all that stuff but i think if you sit down and watch that i mean because what's been the one criticism of oklahoma over the years it's been the defense and as a committee you can sit back and go hey they've played what nine games so far this year that's the first bad offensive game they've played all year long but guess what the game was over in the third quarter. Why? Because the defense went and did it. So anyone that may be in that room arguing for Oklahoma, and I'm not. I mean, again, I don't want anyone to think I'm over here going, oh, they belong. But I'm just saying for those few people that are trying to make that case, 
In a way, this game helps it more than if OU put 62 points on the board. I mean, this shows they've got a legit defense this year. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think it's just one of those things that, uh, like you said, and and aggregators, congratulations, you can officially get on the Randy Height says Oklahoma should be in the playoffs. Go exactly, ahead. Take, yeah. that, take that out of context. Run with it. It's one of those things that like it. I think it's just a that the defense was missing all those players and still was able to mm-hmm. to be the steadying force. I, I just think it's very impressive. And I would hope that the committee gives Baylor a little bit more respect. I know we kind of glossed over it because. Look, like Baylor's not a good football team. They weren't going to win this game, but they still have that, you know, the remnants of Matt Rule being a very gritty team that's going to ugly it up. And and Dave Aranda might be the best defensive mind in the country. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things in his two games against Lincoln Riley. He's held them to 27 and 28 points over the last two seasons. Not too shabby, especially considering you did that once with an LSU defense that was kind of maligned all season and once with a, a Baylor defense that doesn't have, you know, the talent of, of that LSU unit. But uh, just I, I think the most impressive thing, too, was we we keep seeing talking about this defensive line and how great they've played. And and same thing on Saturday night against Baylor, holding the running game to just again, uh, let me triple check. Yeah, that's 25 rushing yards total uh, all game long. Uh, last time you talked about an OU defense doing that was perhaps 2000, <laughs> but uh, not only that, but they, they've been able to pressure quarterback, get after the run game. And then they added just another element again. And, and that's being able to bat those passes down. Like it, I feel like every game we see something new, a, a new element from this defensive line. And Randy, it's just going to be a real shame if we don't get to see Perrion Winfrey and Ronnie Perkins come back and play a full season together. Cause I, I, I doubt it'll happen, but selfishly i just love to see it I, I would too and i'll tell you this much you know i've talked to a lot of people and, and i agree i i think there's probably a decent shot one of those guys at least goes pro but at the same time it wouldn't shock me them coming back because the way they performed this year you look at it they're they're not being projected and necessarily in the first round right now but all of a sudden you look at a pairing on winfrey he comes back as that big athletic guy in the middle, he's a guy projected in the first round next year. Size, speed, strength. And one reason I say there could be a chance they come back is, you know, it's opposite where some guys you go, hey, they're projected in the second round, but I don't blame them if they go now because they're losing everyone around them. And so they'd be coming back and like, like say, it would be Ronnie Perkins. He'd come back and he'd be the only guy on that defense that's all going to be a young unit. So yeah, he's going to go. But, I mean, if if I'm Winfrey and, and I'm Stevenson, you know, we don't know their life situation financially. But if they can afford to come back and want to come back, I would look at it as a bonus if I'm them going, wait, I can come back and I can play, like you said, side-by-side side with Stevenson for another year, not to mention, hey, this kid Jalen Redman, he's going to come back next year. And let's be honest, Ryan, before this year started, after last year, as great as Ronnie Perkins is, there were people saying that Jalen Redmond was the best pass rusher on that defensive line. Right. So, I mean, all of a sudden, you start thinking, I could rack up some really good stats, be part of a national title contender, and maybe go mid-first round if you're those guys. It's interesting. I just think it's an interesting debate, more so this year than what it is sometimes when guys go pro. Yeah, I just... I... uh I, there is merit to that. I just fear that if you look, you know, person by person, if you look at Ronnie Perkins, 
Um, we've kind of thrown this out before, but if I'm Ronnie Perkins, okay, maybe I'm projected in the second or third round, but also do I want to deal with the NCAA another year? Um, especially after all that Ronnie Perkins went through just to go up one round, maybe it's worth it to him. Maybe it's not. If you're pairing on Winfrey, um, I'm not sure how, um, I don't know how to word this. I'm not sure how came to play school Perry on Winfrey is. I, and that's, if that I think makes that. sense. And uh, for him, similar deal. It might not be worth it to him to to deal with all of the, the other part of having to be a student athlete, all that stuff. It may not be worth it to him to jump up a round or two, which again, you know, every person has to make that individual decision. And some people gamble on themselves and it works out. Some people, you know, it doesn't. But it's hard not to get excited about sitting down and saying next year the rotation could be some sort of blend of Isaiah Thomas, Jalen Redmond, Stripling, Perion, Perkins, Benito, maybe if things fall the right way, a Caleb Kelly comes back into the situation and you can start using him as kind of a blitzing role that we saw out of Kenneth Murray last year. Like you, you start sitting around and going, that sounds like a ton of fun and a way that, uh, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Randy, I feel like everyone gets an extra round because of how just devastating they'll be because they're, they're just simply like, if you're an offensive coordinator, if you're an O-line coach, who are you looking at and going, okay, that's the guy we have to double. You're just looking up there and going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So I, I feel like everyone would have a chance to, to really, you know, make some money for themselves. But We'll have to see how it shakes out. I just selfishly like I just want to see that kind of defensive line uh, in the Big 12. Hey, I'll go out on a limb for you here. I'll say this. One of the two comes back. I don't think you get both back, but one of the two comes back. And regardless, I think what you got to look at is the big picture on this defense. It's not a huge drop off in the sense of like in other years where you've had guys leave or go pro because they've had one. This defense, I think, is now established where it's going to be pretty good. You look at what they're recruiting, what they're signing, what they've signed, what they've got setting back waiting. I, I think this defense is in a good spot. And I think that's where if you're an Oklahoma fan, sitting back watching it, worried about the doomsday, like, oh, we just had that one year. Guess what? I, I think this defense is here now. I think it. your biggest concern is, does Alex Grinch take a job? You know, I right. think that's your biggest concern. To me, yeah, for, he's got it established. Now it's just like keeping him here. Because this defense, this is a stat. I don't even know when the last time this happened. I don't have it in front of me. Three straight games. Nine, 13, and 14 points given up. And one of those, yeah, it was Kansas and it was Baylor. But in the middle was Oklahoma State. And their offense, no matter what, it's not a shabby offense. I mean, they lost this week, but they still scored over 20 points. I mean... That's that's some pretty glaring stats when you look at it. And that's where I say I think this defense is kind of here to stick. Well, Randy, um, first off, I'd be remiss to also say that the one guy I forgot, if Perron Winfrey moves on, you've got some nice Perron Winfrey insurance in the way that Joshua Ellison's come on. Like he's yeah. of course he's not he's not Perrion. I don't think he physically has those tools, but he's come on really nicely. But uh, the second thing is, Randy, we how many years have we sat here and said, oh, it's just Kansas. Oh, it's just Baylor. Oh, it's just so and so. And and a backup quarterback comes in and torches the deal. Like I, to me, it, it doesn't really matter who it is. Like we sat there and we watched. Um, I don't even remember his name. The uh, 
the backup uh, from Iowa State who was like named the starter like the Friday night of come in and beat Baker Mayfield's Oklahoma Sooners because, you know, the defense couldn't just lock that down. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it it hasn't mattered. And uh, I I also think that uh, I think OU kind of in in a weird way deserves credit for what's happened to this Oklahoma State team after that. I think that not like Oklahoma beat them so soundly that A, they're not physically in great shape and B they basically not did not just dashed any hopes that Oklahoma state had, but technically OSU still had some stuff to play for. If OU stubbed their toe against Baylor, if OU stubbed their toe against West Virginia, they were still in it. And that Oklahoma state team has looked uninspired since then. Like, I I think this defense deserves a lot of credit for literally taking the soul of the Oklahoma state offense. Fully agree. And I, I think you saw some of that last week before the game. An opt-out, granted the kid got injured, the offensive lineman, but he still opted out for the rest of the year. And I'm not going to say that's why, but you look at Chuba Hubbard, L.D. Brown, you know, if they'd have beat Oklahoma, do you have a little more motivation to go ahead? I'm going to go ahead and play this week. Yeah, I'm going to get back at rehab that much harder. Get back exactly. in Whereas now you're like, eh, we're, we're not going to the Big 12 title game. Eh, it's a COVID year. I'm done. You know, I'm out. See you. Thanks for playing. And, and I think you're right. Part of that was Oklahoma took their will. And we haven't seen an Oklahoma team be able to do that to an opponent. God, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating when I say I don't I don't remember when the last time OU was a team that took the will of somebody. Maybe they made a defense question themselves because Baker Mayfield scored 70 on them but truly break their will because not only did the offense go out and do impressive things, but the defense went, not today, man. No, no, you're, you're going to stay here and sit in this corner. That's what you're going to do. Yeah. I like the, I would have to go probably back to Oh three or Oh four. Cause even that 2008 team that was setting, you know, points records on offense, it's not like it was like, okay, they're winning 68 Mm -hmm. to seven. You know what I mean? Where it's just, just absolute, just, curb stomping people like it was there were some higher scores 60s to 20s you know stuff like that but uh just an overall dominant display from the defense which allowed for the offense to have by far their worst game of the season we talk about you know those defensive numbers but but to baylor's credit they held (sighs) oklahoma to 269 yards total 76 yards on the ground 193 through the air Ramondre Stevenson had his worst game by far since his return to the lineup, only 50 yards, 3.3 average, but he did get a touchdown on 15 carries. Um, Another thing, Oklahoma's 60 game streak of 28 uh, scoring 28 points or more that came to an end uh, with the Sooners only scoring 27. And the other closest call, like I said, was last year's peach bowl where the Sooners only scored 28 on the nose against this Dave Aranda defense. So, um, I guess the question is, Randy, do you chalk this up to the COVID shutdown, throwing everything off, or or does Lincoln Riley have a Dave Aranda problem? I I don't know. I mean, I look at that and go, yeah, that could be partial it, Dave Aranda, but regardless, he doesn't have the talent he had at LSU, you know, to do that. And, and Baylor's defense, they've got some players on there. I mean, it's kind of funny. I think a lot of people forget this Baylor team was in the Big 12 title game last year. They were really good. Right. They've just had a lot of injuries and they're implementing a new system. So it could be a little bit of a Dave Aranda problem. But to be honest with you, it almost seems like I, I kind of wonder this. And, and Lincoln took some blame for it, saying coaching was awful, you know, that we weren't prepared. 
I'm almost wondering if the numbers early in the week were so bad, they were so focused on what are we going to do with defense over here and almost forgot about the offense because everyone was working on trying to solve the defensive problem. And maybe it put the offense to sleep like, hey, we got this. We're good. We're good. And the thing with this offense you can't do, they're young. You can't let that get in their head, especially when I think Rattler's a good leader, but he's still a redshirt freshman. He's going to read the press clippings. He's, he's going to believe all that stuff that they can't be stopped. And that's kind of what it reminded me of. Now, that being said, next year we may come out and Oklahoma may play Baylor in a 17-14 final. And then it's like, okay, he's got a Dave Aranda problem. But I got to see it one more year with nothing funky going into the game. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And, and I don't think that this rests on Rattler at all. He was 20 of 28, 193, two touchdowns a pick. Really interesting as uh, the touchdown to Braden Willis probably should have been an interception. The interception probably should have been a touchdown. And he had one other really um, dicey pass to Braden Willis on that touchdown drive as well. But the the, the hardest thing was, and, and the most concerning thing was that offensive line, Randy. Like, um, that is the veteran unit of the offense. And they could not figure out where that delayed blitz was coming from. It didn't matter. Aranda had it dialed up perfectly where, where this offensive line was confused. Um, there were, what, three straight drives Mm-hmm. Um, deep in Oklahoma territory that started off with a sack that that lost the Sooners eight to ten yards and Lincoln Riley's hands were kind of tied the rest of the the drive which kind of really was responsible I thought for the Sooners offense stalling out a lot in that first half so um, that would be my concern because I'm willing to give them a pass just due to the shutdown and, and I can get how that that was our concern Randy right was right. that the momentum would be thrown off all that stuff. I'm willing to give them a pass there. My concern was just that they weren't able to think their way through it and, and pick up that delayed blitz and and figure out where it was coming from. Because um, yes, it it could be one thing where everyone's just a step slow, but they just look confused the entire night. And that would be my only concern, but I also don't think there's a game left on their schedule. I don't think there's a defensive coordinator left on their schedule that can do that to them. So it's one of those things that I don't know. They, they had issues with Iowa state this year. That's I'll I'll be honest that that's the one concern. Well, but Iowa state kind of does it differently. They, they, they want to drop everyone in and drop into weird coverages and try to force Spencer Rattler to make the mistake. Whereas I felt like this was the offensive line, not being able to work their way through it so I, I feel like it's not the best defense they'll play the rest of the year that's probably Iowa State but as far as that goes I don't think there's another defensive coordinator that can create that kind of havoc on on an Oklahoma offense I, I Iowa State I think is by far um, the best defense they'll play seeing as West Virginia's kind of looks like they're also dealing with some positive tests and things like that but uh, Iowa State just does it in a different way if that makes sense no, and I get what you're saying there, and that's true. But I'm just wondering if Iowa State doesn't mix things up because they're going to do what they want to do. But also this Oklahoma team, as opposed to what Iowa State played the first time, we think, at least based on the two games before this, has an established running game more so. You know, where it's not right. just going to be about dropping into coverage against Oklahoma. And so that's why I kind of wonder, if, yeah, maybe they do it differently. But I guess what I take out of this game, if you want one concern out of the Baylor defense on what they were able to do, did that give Iowa State a blueprint of like, all right, let's continue to do what we did the first time, but mix in some of this. Look what Baylor did to these guys. 
we've got some athletes. We can do some of this, you know, let's right. mix some of our coverages. And that's kind of why I'm saying, I think Iowa State could be very interesting because Baylor could have given them a blueprint. But I'll say this too, this offensive line, and you know me, I would love to throw Swenson under the bus on this, but if you go back and watch that game, cigars, ma- majority, and, the, and it, and also it was Ely. I mean, you right. know, Robertson and Ely's side, it wasn't Swenson's side that was getting abused as much. And so, you know, that's another thing. And I'll say this, we don't know out of the COVID test that caused the game to get delayed a week ago. We don't know where they were at. We're a couple right. of these guys out for five days, you know, a week plus. Yeah. You know, and I'm not making excuses for them, but that's where it's kind of like it, it was just interesting watching where the weakness was on the offensive line on Saturday going, wow, that's that's not the normal area. And like you say, Creed had a bad game and you're just scratching your head going, what is go- what's going on here? You know, so that was a little bit of a head scratcher to me on Saturday because I wanted to throw Swenson under the bus. I, I had the train ready to go, fueled up, and I had him tied to the tracks, but I, just, I couldn't. Couldn't I pull couldn't. out of the station. wasn't his thing. Yeah, and I, I think that it's really interesting, too, because I, I know there was a ton of discussion coming into the game of, okay, let's assume that Oklahoma takes care of business tonight. Oklahoma beats the Baylor Bears. Does the Big 12 step in and do the ACC thing and say, this OUS Virginia game is not necessary. Like, sure, you can play out OSU Baylor. You can play out Texas, Kansas, all that stuff, But but let's just – bubble up our two championship teams well i think everyone in that oklahoma program after that game's going uh we would very much like to go to morgantown we would very much like to get another game in before playing for a big 12 championship because really quietly i know this hasn't been talked about a ton because of the way that oklahoma was playing but iowa state is playing really great football their best football of the season right now and so if oklahoma they, they they will want every opportunity, I think, to recapture that momentum, even if it means, I mean, almost this might be in favor of Oklahoma. I know that we said it's not great for Iowa State to be coming off a bye, but Oklahoma might be hoping, hey, maybe Iowa State, if they just throttle it down 20% coming off that bye and we have that last chance against West Virginia to, to try to get back on track, maybe Oklahoma feels like they're at an advantage, assuming they win and take care of business in Morgantown. Uh, you, you know, you could be right on that. I, I think some of that, and I will be honest, I, I also still, I'm not so sure this game still gets played. I have a conspiracy theory that I, you know, I, I was throwing out on Saturday. I mean, I kind of wonder if the Big 12 looks at the playoff rankings this week. Nothing was shaken up this past week. Oh, right. Look, we didn't get much movement. It's not worth jeopardizing. But with that being said, that was when I thought Oklahoma State was going to win you know, leave a lot of pressure on Oklahoma to go ahead and have to have that extra victory. But now that it's all set up and it's done, it's in the bag. I'm like, they may be like, yeah, go play this game. We want that TV money. So my conspiracy theory was if it looked like Oklahoma had a chance still to make the playoff and Iowa state moved up some, yeah, they wanted them to go play and blow West Virginia out to try to move up into that playoff ranking. But now I, I mean, I think you're right. I think this could be good for Oklahoma to get this game in, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with this game? When, Like you talked right. about West Virginia, though, they had the situation last week and they got the game in, and I think the one thing we've noticed, when a team has had a situation where it looked like a game was going to get canceled and they get it in, nine times out of ten, the rest of the, you know, the next week they're fine. So that yeah. that's the one thing that get, makes me feel like, hey, this game's going to happen on Saturday. 
And, and I think the Big 12 uh, smartly putting this game at 11 or, or trying to work behind the scenes saying, hey, why don't we just go ahead, get Oklahoma in? Both these teams have kind of, they're the two teams in the conference that were struggling with COVID. Now it looks like Texas might be, uh, you know, ducking, trying to duck Kansas well, in, a, in a similar manner. Yeah, but Texas doing Texas things after putting up 69 on Kansas State, saving Tom Herman's job. Congrats, Tom. Uh, well, I think Urban Meyer saved Tom Herman's job by being like, thanks, but no thanks. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I just, I, I really want to see at this point, Oklahoma play this game. I, I know that, and it's kind of weird, Randy, that the conversation around this game, I wonder if it's just because it's a COVID thing, but normally like, the Sooners with two games left have punched their ticket to the big 12 championship game or whatever. And no one's ever saying, Hey, the, you know, Oklahoma and Kansas in week 14 shouldn't be played or, you know, stuff like that. It's, right. it's weird, but uh, I, I get that it's a different year with the COVID stuff, but I really think that it will be beneficial to Oklahoma to play this game. And it's, it's a team that's going to command their attention. That West Virginia defense is a good defensive unit. Like I can't think of something better for this Oklahoma team is one last tune-up going into that Big 12 championship game, especially with, uh, and something we can talk about, yes, the offensive line was a problem, but I thought the wide receiver uh, rotation was odd, to -hmm. say the least, and and I, there's no guarantee that Austin Stogner is going to be um, available. It, like, we haven't heard much about him at all. I don't know why it took so long for, hey, Spencer Rattler really likes Austin Stogner. Braden Willis, while not as physically large as Austin Stogner, is still a really big dude who moves really well, sure-handed, and plays that exact same position. Why don't we just put Braden Willis in and say, hey, Braden, you're going to get a chance to be Stogner for this game. And and every time they threw to him, it was it was great. So maybe this is something that uh, get that Rattler to Willis connection going because we just don't know what's happening with Stogner right now. Well, and I'll say this. I go back to the fact, I wonder if they just didn't work. I mean, I'm being honest. If it was almost like they thought, what we've done in the past, what we'll do, and just went into this game not even thinking about offense, so worried about getting the defense in. Because you bring up Willis, let's not forget in Bedlam, because Stogner was out for that game too. Was it the first or second pass completion was right to Braden Willis? That first third down, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's not like they didn't know about that connection, but I thought it was weird too because I'm sitting there watching the game Saturday going, first half goes by, where's, where's Braden Willis? Hey, Braden Willis is a guy that they've hooked up a few times before the first week in a huge game. You know, where's he at? And so that's where I, I it's not an excuse, but I'm just kind of wondering, is that the deal? Yet again, did they just not game plan at all for this game? Because it was... It was so odd, Ryan, because once they started using him, like you said, I mean, two completions on that touchdown drive, one of them, yes, maybe should have been an interception, but I didn't even have as big a problem with the other one that, God, the awful Tim Brando was like, I mean, my <laughs> Very God. ballsy of Spencer Rattler to put yeah. that ball in there on a third like, down, right, how, Randy? How about this? It's called threading the needle. I mean, and I'm not saying it's always the right play. But a lot of good quarterbacks do that, even experienced guys. I mean, well, now the one the that, that well, you got the confidence that Spencer Rattler has, like he's going to throw that ball, like right. And here's the thing: to me, that's one on the Division One level. He completes nine times out of ten, just right. because it's college. Now, if he goes to the NFL and tries that, it's a pick six the other way, you know. But you live and learn, and yeah, so. But yeah, the Willis thing I thought was very interesting on Saturday because it's not like they had to be reintroduced. They'd went through the same thing against Oklahoma State. And so that 
It right. was very head scratch. Yeah, and it's like I get that. So Marvin Mims took that shot early. He eventually returned and seemed okay. He was obviously a little shaken up. Um, so I get, you know, seeing more Theo Howard, if you just want to put the like for like replacement in stuff like that. Cool. Awesome. Jaden Hazelwood. Um, it's really didn't even come into late. Yeah. I mean, well, as as I, you know. well, I think with Hazelwood that it's pretty clear that the Sooners were trying to work him back in. Um, he missed last week's or the Bedlam game. Mm-hmm. If we want to connect the dots, I think that's pretty clear as to, he was a guy that at worst was, or at best was in you think he is wearing number 19. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of those things that at best, uh, you know, he was in contact trace quarantine and, and it's just unfortunate that it's a guy that just cleared against can or for the Kansas game, trying to work back in, you know what I mean? So, uh, like I get that, that makes sense, but I I just feel like we've talked so much about this tight end H back room that that's the ready-made thing of, Hey, Mims goes down. He's hurt. Hazelwood may not be a hundred percent. We're trying to work it back in, would you not want to lean on Braden Willis and Jeremiah Hall? Because because like that tight end H back room has, has just been superstars. And and, uh, you know, that that was kind of confusing to me. That's the only real head scratching thing. Because I think everything else was pretty clear, like Baylor's mm-hmm. defensive line is nothing to, you know, turn your nose up at. And and Aranda kind of uh, was doing different things that, that even the team said they, they didn't really see a ton of it on tape and didn't expect. So OU was, um, you know, coming off a week off not the good kind of bye week and they were trying to think their way through the game. So I'm not here to hit the panic button, but I think it is essential that Oklahoma gets this West Virginia game. In. Yeah, I, th- I think it'll be interesting. And I'm one, I, I'm not as much on the essential side of thing. I think if they play it, it's not going to hurt to play it. I, I'm not one of those. Right. And, and to me, my main reason for wanting to play it is more getting that defensive unit back out on the field, you know, and letting them all play together because at the level they're playing right now, that's almost the side of the ball that I don't want to miss a week. They've already missed, you know, had two bye right. weeks in the last three. They're clicking right now. You want those guys out there on that field every week going, just go do you. Just just go do you. You know, and that's all they're doing right now. And so that's one thing I don't want to see. That's the main reason I want them to play. I'm not worried about the offense, even though they struggled a little last week. The offense under Lincoln Riley and his entire career has never gave me a reason to go, Oh, they need to keep playing. They need to keep the rhythm going, you know, and everything. So, right. Mine is more this defense. They've got a confidence built up. Let's not blow that confidence. Let's keep it going. Let's not let them sit back and think about things. Keep a game plan going. I, I'm ready for the game. I, I think it's going to be interesting because the Stills brothers on that defensive line. Yeah, you're right. They did a lot of different stuff, and West Virginia can't do what Baylor did. But I think it's going to be a really big test for that offensive line presenting a different thing because that's going to be the best defensive line they've played with those right. guys. I mean, and so that's why I think Saturday is going to be an interesting thing for this offensive line. Another test. But the good news is, to me, Ryan, what they do at West Virginia now mirrors Iowa State a little. It's not identical, but a lot of the same thing. So it's a good helping game before the next week's Big 12 title game. Yeah, I just I really think that like like you said, I, Lincoln Riley has earned us not being concerned about rhythm, stuff like that. But this is just a little bit different of usually, OK, we're talking about um, they've had three weeks off because that's the break between the Big 12 championship and a college football playoff. Whereas this is you're taking weeks off, but you're there's no guarantee that not only are, are your ones not going against each other, but there's no guarantee that guys are even practicing and, and they're just sitting in a room having to, 
you know, hope that uh, the next test that comes back is negative, things like that. So I, I just think that getting one more game in, it, it would be a benefit to a team that was red hot and just wants to make sure that they can recapture some of that and, and go into a Big 12 championship game feeling like that they're firing on all cylinders. But Randy, there was something else that was pretty interesting and pretty unique that happened on Saturday night. And it was not a COVID related thing. Nothing like that in the middle of what the third quarter toward the end of the third quarter started the fourth quarter. We all start our, our phones start blowing up and Shane Beamer is the new head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, not unexpected the move, but the the timing was pretty unexpected. Yeah, you know, and it makes you wonder. I mean, I I think really what ends up happening in that situation, Beamer was a guy that wasn't allowed to be in the stadium on Saturday because of just that quarantine period. We all know it's a it's a day thing. And I'm wondering how much of that was he took some phone calls, did some negotiating, and that's the reason why you know, it got done during the OU game. And then I saw, I don't know, it was funny. I saw some fans ripping, oh, he, can, he can't be at our game, but he can go on the plane to meet the South Carolina team on Sunday. And I'm like, idiots, it's called the quarantine. He had to quarantine for seven to 10 days. That was the end of his window, Yeah, you know? So that's what it was. But uh, you know what? I give it up to Beamer. Hey, I, I've got a job on the line for a head coach. I can't make it to the game. Let's work the details out. I've got four extra hours right now. Yeah, I'm just I'm hanging out. All I can do is watch and yell and get mad. Like that's that's the only thing I can do is it's only going to make my condition worse. Yeah, like I had no problem with that. And it's one of those things, too, that uh, if if he announced that he was and I haven't seen anything, Randy, I've kind of been out of the loop today, been doing some other things. So, uh, you know, correct me if, if I haven't seen this, but I wouldn't even be too terribly upset if he said, hey, signing week or signing days just a week away let's i'm gonna go ahead and just make my transition and start build my staff at south carolina and, and hit the recruiting trail because as good a job as he's done with the tight end age back room i'm not sure what he would do over the next two weeks that's going to be the difference maker between a win or a loss you know what i mean like like those guys are for more or less developed uh, i wouldn't be upset at him or, or blame him if he hit the recruiting yeah. trail and said i've got a program to build Exactly. Well, actually, Lincoln Riley did come out today and say he would be with the team through the Big 12 title game. There you of course, go. he's not on the recruiting trail for Oklahoma because he's going to be on the recruiting trail for South Carolina, but he is going to at least be through the Big 12 title game. And I think they left some space in there because I got a funny feeling. It's like if Oklahoma went to the playoff by some stretch of the imagination, Beamer would be like, oh, I- I'm going to be there for that because it's a great recruiting tool for him to still be involved in that. Right. You know? But so they did leave the window up for that, but he will at least be there for that. And I don't blame him at all. I mean, you've got to get going. And I think it's good on Oklahoma's part to go ahead and pull him from the road as well. I mean, he couldn't recruit for you anyway. Not that you're out on the road, but let somebody else start making his phone calls to go, hey, we're going to be fine. We don't know who your coach is going to be for anybody that's predicted to be an back at Oklahoma. But start making those phone calls and start doing the recruiting because – I mean, it's a week from Wednesday, signing day. And we learned last year in the early signing period, that's when 95% of these guys are going to sign. Yeah. Well, and and to your point, it's no longer as difficult as, okay, he needs to be out on the road. It's He's going to hop into the Zoom call right after 
uh, mm-hmm. practice is done and he's just going to change his background to a South Carolina background instead of an OU background and, and start hitting up that stuff. So it makes it even more simple to get everything together and, and working. How about this? Let, let's stay on the coaching front. How about the little bit of rumor that came out on Sunday that Mark Stoops fires his offensive coordinator and there's some rumblings out of Lexington. Who's maybe the number one choice for him? Kel Gundy. That that would be really interesting because because at this point I'd kind of chalked up Kale as a as an OU lifer. You know what I mean? Like I just kind of figured that uh, if he was going to make the jump, he would have made it before now. But mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't blame him at all for same deal. Like you want to take that step up if you feel like you're ready, like go for it. I'd be excited to see what he could do because Kale's obviously been a great asset to this staff. He's he's had he's held basically what every position coach job in the offense except offensive line it feels like he's been a great recruiter for Oklahoma like I think he would do a great job I I have no idea what he could do play calling wise I feel like anyone being elevated to that position though like you never know until you see it you know what I mean yeah I mean I I found that interesting because I was like you I, I I had heard a lot of things in the past you know offensive coordinator kept coming open at Oklahoma before Riley but you know like when they named Josh, Josh Heupel and everything like that, people were like, why not kill? You know, and I'd heard some things that maybe he didn't want that, you know, in a way. And I don't, and this isn't a slam because I love kill. And I think he's done a fabulous job at Oklahoma. But what I was told is he was comfortable at Oklahoma in the sense of making really, really good money. Right. At the time, then he was on Bob Stoop's staff. Bob's secure in his job. He's not going anywhere. Lincoln Riley's pretty much now the same way that Kel was just, he's comfortable. He's from Oklahoma. He loves it and didn't want to leave. And I'm not going to be upset if he does, because I'm like you more power to you go get that offensive coordinator's job. But it just seems an odd timing because it's so, it's sad to say it's so late in his career. He's still a young guy, but you get what I'm saying. You know, he's, he's been here forever and it, I guess just never seen his name even pop up for an offensive coordinator's job somewhere. Well, I feel like this is, this is the last time I will entertain the Kale Gundy rumor mill. If that makes sense that uh, if, if like I could see he was really waiting for the right situation. Cause like you said, he seems to be super content and uh, not complacent, but content be, mm-hmm. let me be clear two very different things. But uh, like this could be the right situation going to work with Mark Stoops, going to a situation he's familiar with, you know, things like that. I I could see, you know, waiting till he's at a place that has enough talent that he feels like he can make an impact immediately and not have to build for five or six years or things like that. Um, If he doesn't make the leap, then unless he gets thrown out for head coaching jobs, a la Shane Beamer, like I I just I I see him staying at OU and. And, you know, continuing in this role for as long as he wants to and as long as he's still performing. So I could see this as one of those like this is, you know, the last chance to to make that career move type. You know, It, it is. And I think I, I think if he does, that's probably what was behind it, because also I'll say this. I think it's kind of a risky move. Not that he could. I mean, if Oklahoma had a spot open and things fell through, I think Lincoln would bring him back in a heartbeat. No problem at all. But Mark's been a little bit. I'm not going to say on the hot seat, but I wouldn't say he's fully secured as the Kentucky head coach. I mean, he is through this year probably, but you know, it's one of those next year's a big year for Mark Stoops in Kentucky, you know? And so it's like, you might be leaving this 
cushy life situation to go get in a spot where maybe in another 12 months you're out of a job, not because of what you did, but because of the situation the head coach was in. So it'll be interesting. I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I found that very interesting on Sunday when those rumors started popping up out of Lexington. Yeah, I I get that. I just, you know, for Kale, I, I feel like he will always have, even if the, the coaching staff is full, um, he will always be, hey, can I be an analyst and slot in the oh, first yeah. time you have something? And everyone will be like, yes, of course. You, so I, I don't know if it's like it's risky from the sense of, yeah, sure, that thing. But I, like he'll be secure and, and he'll always have a role around here with this program. So I, I think that he has the safety net to say, if I wanted to go do this, I, I can give it a good college try. Who lasts longer at an Oklahoma school? Kel Gundy or Mike Gundy? Well, I I would say if Kale does not get the Kentucky offensive coordinator job, I would pick him. I, I would too. Yeah, because right now it's a bloodletting in Stillwater. Yeah, they are, they are not happy up there, and uh, I can see why. Who who knew that you could uh, force five turnovers and uh, only put up okay. twenty two points? But he's not wrong. That big play to a horrible offense. My God, yes, you get five turnovers on top of it. But let's not all, yet again, I called this on this defense early in the year, and I'll continue to spout it. Highly overrated from day one. Highly yeah. overrated. Yeah, it was, uh, that was a tough watch. That game was a tough watch. But Randy, you know what wasn't a I tough watch? I watched it with humor because there are dwarfs somewhere that are pretty upset with me. So I kind of I kind of laughed and chuckled. <laughs> Uh, do you, you have any more commentary on the Oklahoma State recruiting that you'd like to get into, or do we want to just, you know, hey, tiptoe over there? Top 40 results. That's all I got to say. Makes sense. Makes sense. But, Randy, you know, it wasn't tough to watch. Uh, switching gears completely and totally. The Oklahoma basketball team, they finally played games. It was fun to know that uh, they were cleared after basically sitting out a week and a half. The Sooners opened up their season. Uh, with a fitting tribute to Billy mm-hmm. Tubbs beating UTSA 105 to 66. And then just due to the unfortunate timing of all this, they had to open up conference play in Fort Worth, hung in there, battled 82 to 78 winners. And uh, I- I've been really impressed with how they've handled all of this because I-, I was concerned just with the conditioning. Long Kruger kind of talked about it, that they basically hadn't practiced consistently in two and a half, three weeks. So you lose all that conditioning really, really quickly, all that stuff, then being thrown into, into big 12 basketball. Uh, I thought they handled themselves. Well, you know, I really did the first game. Like you say, I mean, you look at it and you're playing a very average at best team in UTSA. And what I liked is they did what you're supposed to do. They beat them, but you had to take that game with a grain of salt, Ryan, because that game, everything was falling. I mean, right. Brady Manick, I think could have just turned his back to the basket and threw it over his head. And it was going to go in, you know, so you had to take that with a grain of salt. And I liked what I saw out of them on Sunday as being a very tough mental team. I mean, they that first half, when you look, watch that first half, it was back and forth and a game of runs. And really, in my opinion, it was kind of ugly the way OU played and TC. Yeah. I mean, it was just and then all of a sudden they come out in the second half and there was still some runs back and forth. But you saw some cohesion in that unit, you know, as far as all the guys playing together, mix and match, Reeves. I, I like what Harmon's brought so far this year. And Brady Manick, 
He had a good game, but it was almost like you forgot about him in that game, you know, and that was a good sign. So this team, I mean, they're going to be decent this year. I just don't know how good, because here's the other thing. We still haven't seen Victor Iroquois, who's going to be a huge contributor for him. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, my my biggest takeaway, two things from these first two games, that, that first one in particular um, I remember last season, once you got out of the true sucks of non-conference and got into um, UCF, this UTSA team, that Maryland Eastern Shore, William & Mary, all those games, OU won them all, but at halftime, five points or less. The They were all very, very close games. I know you had to like bust it open in the second half. We didn't have to wait a single minute. Like It was like two or three minutes in. And then all of a sudden, oh, you went on their first little run. And then that was all she wrote. They just kept building and building and adding and adding to that lead, which I think is a really good sign. The second mm-hmm. thing is I, I really like just the construction of this team a lot more this year. Um, last year, I know that you're you're trying to fit all of your talent on the floor, but rolling out with, um, you know, either uh, being be starting and then either Harmon or Alondis Williams, but then Reeves, Doolittle, Manic you knew that they were just going to get murdered on the boards night in night out. Cause that's just an undersized team. It, you know, it is what it is. Um, I really like this year, especially for Brady Manic, moving him back to the four full time and letting Kerr Queth for, you know, for better or for worse. I know last year that Kerr was not good enough on the defensive end of the floor with the rotations, things like that to plan for long spurts of time. But I, I think, um, I'm really excited to see what Asanza brings, but I think Kerr's taken a step forward knowing he's got ownership there. I think Brady Manick has helped him out a lot as far as just kind of getting him in the right spot. But I just think the construction of this team is so much better that this might be um, the best team as far as top to bottom that they've had since Buddy healed. Um, they obviously don't have the star power of a Trey Young. The, the, the problem is, Randy, that when you look down the Big 12, like this is the deepest the oh, big yeah. 12 spin in a long time and so it could like both things could be true this could be the best ou team we've seen since 2016 and they could still finish seven in the big 12 F- fully agree i mean yeah this this conference is deep and i i think the one thing i noticed it in game one and i really noticed in game two that i think will make this team better a lot better than what they were last year but like you say still potentially finishing seventh there's a different chemistry. I mean, I don't know if you noticed it. I noticed it all last year I was watching it. It always seemed like, I don't know if they didn't like each other. I don't know what it was, but that uh, there here. was something between Harmon and Reeves. And it was almost like you didn't want them on the floor at the same time. Well, here. Sun- Sunday, they were there together a lot and played great together. Uh, so I think you had a few things going last year. So first <clears throat> off, Davion Harmon, a highly rated recruit coming in, he's not known anything other than I am the offense. His entire upbringing, he is the one that initiates it on ball, things like that. Last year, Long Kruger was trying to show him um, things you can do playing off ball, letting Jamal Biennemi bring it up, putting the ball in Austin Reeves' hands, things like that. Secondly, Austin Reeves, obviously pent up after having to sit that year out, but, but he talked to us after the TCU game and basically said, that he has never ever viewed himself as a shooter and that he always played point guard and that he was known as a shooter because his one year at Wichita state, that was the role that he was like propped into his freshman year initially. And that's what he became. 
So I think that with that knowledge, it now looks very obvious looking back that Austin Reeves was playing a role he's very uncomfortable playing last year and wanted the ball a little bit more. Then you throw in that Christian Doolittle, for better or for worse, he's a guy that you probably need to just dedicate 10 seconds of the possession to him trying to get to get things done in ISO ball. And, and that just continues to, there's already a tug and pull of the team's identity, and that just continues to throw it out. And that's why I think that this year, they may not be as talented, but I think that it, it just, all the pieces fit in so much better and this offense looks cohesive austin reeves and kirk Queth get that pick and roll game going if that yeah. doesn't work if you have damon harman or mo gibson you have a second guy that that can try to work something else keep the offense moving as you try to reset there's always going to be the threat of brady manic out on the three-point line then we saw against tcu they put some smaller guys on him so he didn't get going early and this is what i love we didn't see brady manic get down in the past, he's had really bad body language, you know, yelling at himself, right. all that stuff. Instead, it was very simple. He made the adjustment. Okay, they're going to put these smaller guys on me. I'm going to get closer and closer into the low post and just body him around. And that's what we saw. And and I think, look, it's two games. I don't want to overreact. But all of those things moving in unison, throw in the fact that they haven't been able to just practice and play together. Like that, that is nothing but really, really good signs. I, I think we could be in for a really fun season on the hard court. Fully agree. And, and kind of the last thing on basketball here, because I know we've been on for a while. I, I think what's going to be good is they've got four home games coming up and they're all non-conference opponents, not great opponents. So they got they got a chance to get confidence. And then before that, though, this Wednesday, the Big East Big 12 Challenge or whatever it's called this year, they play Xavier, who's 6-0. and And I've watched Xavier. Here's the good thing. They're a good team. They remind me a lot of Oklahoma this year. You know, they've got a lot of good pieces. I don't know if they're as good as the Xavier teams in the past, but it's going to be a good challenge for this team going on the road. And then let's just say things don't go right for them and they lose, Ryan. With these four games after that, they're going to be able to practice together, hopefully if COVID stays out, you know, and everything like that, and correct some of the mistakes. So it's almost like, all right, you got these two games in, you're going to get some more guys back. Win or lose, it's going to be a good test, I think. And then they can fix mistakes after that. Yeah, I, and um. I think, you know, uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. But let's, I I want to throw this warning out there. Here's Oklahoma's opening slate once oh, they're in the conference play. Yeah. Okay, they're going to host Texas Tech, okay. Then they're going to host West Virginia, who looks awesome. Then they're going to go to Baylor and to Kansas in back-to-back games. So... I, just be patient and don't slam that panic button because then they've got TCU again. Oklahoma State will be a good matchup. Kansas State, like they have a chance to get it going again, but it is going to be, like we said, the, the Big 12 this year is even, like we say this every year, but I think that they have a chance to legitimately have four Elite Eight teams, which is just bonkers, and, and have, if things shake out right, three of the four Final Four teams with how deep this team is this conference is. I mean, well, and how about this? You mentioned those four game stretch. A lot of people go, Oh, Texas tech. They're the worst of the four. And yes. I don't mean they're bad, but they're yeah. number 17 in the country. I mean, that's something we all need to grasp. And you're right. That's why I think that I actually have been so ready for college basketball this year. And, you know, I was hoping they were going to get some games in non-conference because more so than football, I felt like it was really important for basketball just to get those, couple even if they only played two just to get a couple of games in to get their feet wet 
and get going because this conference, you did not want to step in this conference because that's diving right into the deep end of the pool. You needed some games to kind of go, okay, we got to work some things out. We got to work some kinks out. So I'm kind of glad it's worked out so far for college basketball. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and you can tell what mood I was in, Randy. I was thinking tennis with hardcore earlier instead of hardwood. We let that slide. I thank you yeah, for really that. Yeah. Look, yeah, I played tennis for a really long time, Randy. Okay. I'm, I'm used to hardcore. I'm used to hardcore, hardwood. I like it. it I is get it. I get it. No problem. No problem. But yeah, so Wednesday, Oklahoma takes that trip to play Xavier in basketball. And then we've got, obviously, the big ones on Saturday. The doubleheader, OU West Virginia football, and then OU Florida A&M basketball. Get jacked, people. Yeah, why are they playing in the afternoon? I, Randy, I'm just glad that it's not a 2.30 kickoff because it was going to be very hectic for all of us covering OU basketball while just watching OU West Virginia on our laptops through, like, the entire mm-hmm. game. We're, we were going to get to the post game and be like, so, uh... Lon, how do you feel that Spencer Rattler handled himself today in Morgantown? I'm like, oh, you move your game tonight. It's Florida A&M. They'll be okay with it. Yeah, everyone will be fine. Everyone will be fine. But we will be back later in the week to kind of talk about talk through those two games as well as the the Sooners trip to Xavier. Also, you know, just should be noted. Women's basketball is doing the women's basketball thing. No comment as a supporter. For a long time, no comment. Just no comment. And I think that speaks volumes. Randy, thank you so much. You can find us on the Twitter machine at Radios Ryan, at RJ Heights 1077, and at Highball Network. Be sure you follow all three of those accounts. That will give you all of the latest news on uh, just basically everything OU, everything Heisman Park Rangers, and all the great work at the Highball Network. Uh, Randy, thank you, and uh, I'll see you next week. Related right, to this week. Good. Whatever it is. Yeah, whatever. We'll see you then.